This is All Good in the Motherhood with Teresa Priolo. Moms come in all shapes and sizes. They even come in little powerhouse forms, barely reaching five feet. And that's where we meet Rupa Mehta, who we just recently met, but I feel like based on our conversations, we are going to be fast friends. Uh, vacationing before the day is done. Um, But Rupa not only is the um, founder of a nonprofit, but also she has written a new book called Someone Calls Me Mommy, an anthology of two perspectives, which we are going to get into. Look, I even used my mask as a placeholder here. Amazing. (laughs) This is where we are in the pandemic, where your mask too can also be a placeholder in your book. Um, So Rupa, thanks for being with me. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with a real get down and dirty, get into it, mama. It's awesome. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. First of all, (laughs) you are literally days away from giving birth to your second. So when we talk about moms doing it all, you're pretty much, you know, putting that (laughs) in action now. It feels, I feel like I gave birth to this book and now I'm going to give birth to a, a baby boy. It feels like I'm having twins, but like very different love, but (laughs) Yes. Well, which one seems harder? Which one do you think is a heavier lift at this point? At this current moment, the actual baby. I'm like, I'm trying to talk to him. I'm looking up induction things. I don't know if it's going to work. We'll see what happens. He's on his own timeline. We'll just hopefully baby boy will just stay inside till the end of the week. It's nice if you give birth on a Friday, they usually let you stay till like Sunday or so. (laughs) Squeeze a couple of days out of that suite at the hospital. It's nice. (laughs) Yeah. Take all the stuff we talked about. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So we, uh, earlier today when Rupa and I were talking, I was saying, you know, the, one of the most wonderful pieces of advice I received from Megan Murphy, who happens to be the editor in chief at um, Women's Day magazine was like, clear the shelf supermarkets sweep the hospital they got to throw it out anyway so take it and I was like are you like really when I gave birth to my second nine months ago I was I came in with marshals the plastic marshals bags I came in and I was like let's go give me everything (laughs) and and the nurses one of the nurses was like ma'am uh I'm like I need it give it if you're gonna toss it toss it my way give it to me (laughs) And they were it. so great. And I used everything and I felt like well, who did, a mom in need is a mom indeed, right? Like it's yes, fine. That is for sure. That is for sure. So, all right. Well, I'm glad we were able to get this done before the baby comes because when this premieres, you will be a mom of two with a little baby in your arms and you'll be knee deep in the fourth trimester. Yes. I mean, I, you know, it's like, that is such wisdom. The people who share the fourth trimester with you. I mean, like now that I know that, and I like can plan for the three months, but I feel like similar to you, I'm going into the second baby being like, I'm going to be active. I'm going to try, like, I don't have to be worried and hunker down and just be my child in the room alone. So I feel, I feel better and more equipped going in, but who knows what happens. Right. Of course. I mean, these babies have different plans. Um, They do what they want always. And I feel like that carries into toddlerhood (laughs) as well. It's their world. We're just all merely players, but, um, but I do, I, you know, I felt like with my second, I I felt a sense of calm that I didn't have with my first. And I wasn't nervous about being a mom or anything like that, but I just feel like what, I mean, I know a lot of things can go wrong, but I felt like what could go wrong? Like we've done this before. Like we've been here before. Is that sort of the way you're feeling right now? Well, you know, 
given the history of what happened with my first one, you know, my mom passed away that same year. I was, I was living in New York City, pregnant, and I moved to Fairfax County, Virginia, where my mom was having brain surgery for brain cancer, like a month and a half before delivery. So I changed all my doctors. I was in a different setting. I was in the hospitals all the time. So honestly, I don't think I even had the brain space to really embrace that I was about to give birth. I was so occupied my brain with other things. And so this time just feels calmer just because that's not happening. But it, and if I don't know, there's a lot of weird, different emotions coming up, but it's, it's, it, it feels like a healing pregnancy in a different way. It's almost like the pregnancy that you hoped that you had, would have the first time. Yes, definitely. You know, definitely. it's funny. I, I also feel like wh whether you are on your first pregnancy or your fifth pregnancy, we all have ideas of how it should go though. Like we do kind of, even if you're not really a planner, you do sort of, your brain constructs a timeline or a flow of how things yes. should go. And something like an illness of a family member that certainly disrupts it. And I feel like oftentimes it can take us a while um, emotionally, not only to deal with the grief and the trauma, but also to like come to grips with the fact that our narrative in our head did not play out the way that we had hoped. Uh, 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 very well said. I mean, it was like, you know, I pictured my mom in the hospital. I pictured her holding my baby. Like, all those things, like I, I didn't picture being the top female in the house, if that makes sense. Like I, I just, I felt like I was a child having a child, but then all of a sudden I felt like I catapulted into like an adult woman having a child. And I know I'm an adult woman, but it felt a lot of adultness happened kind of overnight. Yeah, and I do feel like no matter who you are, or what you've accomplished before having a kid, we all do sort of revert back to that child Yes. mentality of like who's going to take care of me i can't i kept being like i can't do this i am not equipped no one checked my credentials <laughs> no one asked no one asked if i was okay if i could do it if i studied if i you know and i remember my husband even asking certain questions in delivery and i was like where did you learn that and he goes the birthing class you made me take and i was like oh well, i'm glad one of us listened but you know like you i i felt like i I was not ready. I, I can admit two kids in, I wasn't ready the first time. No, and it's, it, and it's almost deceiving because you make things like a birth plan. You talk it out with friends. Like there's this false sense of like, I got this, you know, or like a little bit of control. And then everyone tells you, you know, you know, you never know what to expect. And you're like, oh, I know that. Like, I know mm -hmm. all the things I don't know, but you don't. <laughs> Right, right. You don't know until you know that you don't know. <laughs> and then there's nothing you can do about it anyway, except for learn. Right, yes. right. So, okay. So um, prior to your book being um, released, you are a nonprofit owner. So tell me a little bit about your life pre-poetry and how that sort of segued into this book. Yeah, it's funny. I can't even think of about my life pre-poetry because I think since I was little, I was always into poetry. And I think the deeper root of it is probably the idea that having an outlet for yourself, whether it's writing or illustration, is a cathartic thing. And I think as I got older, it it evolved into working out and fitness. And so my journey really started with a fitness studio in New York City called Malini Method. And it was a bar class, which I'm sure you're familiar with those bar classes and the burn and the thighs. And I um, 
I named it after my late mom, Nalini. And while I was teaching adults, I kept on hearing over and over, I wish I had this for my kids. I wish I had this stuff when I was younger. I would combine physical and emotional workouts. And so then I started my nonprofit called Nalini Kids. And we started it out with 13 middle school kids in a Crown Heights, Brooklyn school. And then it's grown to a couple hundred thousand kids nationwide now. And we teach physical and emotional workouts in the classroom. We train teachers from kindergarten through 12. And I guess the organizing principle of the nonprofit work is wanting to flip the question we often ask students, which is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I want to flip that question to, who are you now and what can you teach us? And this idea that, you know, whether you have a four-year-old or a 20-year-old, they embody life experiences that we can gain from and taking the time to see their perspective or creating the structure that lets that perspective shine is really important. So I've done that for, you know, over 10 years with the nonprofit. And so then when I had my daughter and everything that happened with the first pregnancy, um, it just felt like a natural extension to kind of think about her perspective even at day one. And so that's kind of was the beginning journey of the poetry book. 100,000 thing, it's 100,000 anything is ginormous and massive. Impacting the lives of 100,000 kids across the mm. country is incredible. Thank you. It's it. I would have never, I would have never guessed that something that was created, it was like a home cooked meal for me. I was just so passionate about it, put my heart and soul into these workouts. And I, I used to go teach these 13 middle school students and I couldn't fathom like training other teachers and them training others. But then we became a mandated social emotional learning program for the New York City Department of Education and for, for their summer school. And then it kind of took off from there. And so I, I've written a lot of children's books that are used by the Department of Education where children are able to kind of co-illustrate and co-write books. And then I have word workouts, which I know you find really interesting. I have like the happiness workout, the confidence workout, the perseverance workout, this idea of naming emotions and working them out physically. Um, and so it's, it's just fit like a glove for, teachers of all different backgrounds, whether they're a math teacher, a PE teacher, a science teacher, they feel that they can talk about emotions in the classroom and not feel that it's like, I don't know, divisive or political. It's just like, we can all agree words weigh us down or lift us up and like, we can work it out and have fun together. Cause like, you know, when the students sweat together, they have fun together. What is an emotional workout though? I mean, my emotional workout used to be going to a soul cycle class and like sitting in the back of the room and crying. And I didn't care if I was getting a cardio burn. I just needed to like release something inside of me. And I was the, the sweaty mess in the back, just crying through the 50 minute class or whatever it was. But I would imagine it looks a little different for, for kids, potentially. What, what is truly an emotional workout? You know, I, I would say the simplest emotional workout we do is everything revolves around the dictionary definition of a word. So let's take a word as simple as angry or a word as complicated as politics. Simply, we would look up the dictionary definition of the word in, in the dictionary, write it down, and then have the whole class write their own interpretation of that word and what it brings up for them and what, what their personal definition is of the moment. Because oftentimes, students, adults as well, you know, we communicate, we're using the same dictionary, but we have different interpretations. My view of friendship is different than your view of friendship. Then we end up in a conflict in the classroom. So 
uh, most of our stuff starts out really basic, zoning in on the dictionary definition of the word. And then that just elevates over time, thinking about what is your fixed mindset? What's movable? Is your definition, where did it come from? Did it come from your family? Did it come from church? Did it come from a friend at school? And so we're constantly peeling back the layers within this program. I, we really I, start off very simple. I cannot think of anything better, especially after two years of isolation and uncertainty and learning challenges and insecurity at home and New Yorkers, especially who have not uh, been food insecure are now, uh, you know, many are where they've never faced that sort of trauma before or a family member that used to be at the table is not there anymore or perhaps a parent has changed jobs or lost jobs or all of the things that have happened over the last two years in this pandemic. My goodness, I feel like this is the, um, the, ex I mean, the exercise that kids need. I, I really feel, I feel the same way. You know, one of the things we take a lot of pride in is that our program was used by uh, the Department of Education for first responders, you know, that early time in the pandemic when only their children were kind of going to these rec centers. And it was so helpful for the teachers to do it because it's so hard for adults to process what happened the last couple of years and then feel equipped and confident and feel like they have the language to translate to students. So, you know, our curriculum is free now. I made it free during the pandemic. So anyone can log on and do these word workouts at home, like whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a working mom, an educator, homeschool teacher, uh, you know, they're available and free to everyone now. So you, it's clear, you are a creative individual and you are one who sort of thinks outside the box a little bit. Like it, it seems like, I don't want to tell you who you are, but it seems like <laughs> you are somebody who identifies a problem and then tries to find a creative solution for it. Yes, I would say that's that's pretty accurate. My my dad uh, always told me growing up this one saying the solution is born before the problem. So I feel like he always taught me to think like instead of thinking you're a problem solver, think of yourself as a solution finder and just that like switch of verbiage. You know, it's the same yeah. kind of thing, but that switch has definitely made me. Um, into out-of-the-box solutions because I'm someone who has a lot of emotions, I have a lot of passion, but I love the logical side and I almost want to prove to myself, what does anger do in my body? How does it affect me? Where, What, what does the, the, the news mean to me in this moment right now? And so I feel like coming up with systems to process that is, um, it's calming for me. And I know that if I share that with children, it gives them a system and something that's reliable for them to process emotion. So it's been successful in that sense. So I'm just curious, like, did, did your toddler have meltdowns? Like, cause I feel like if mom <laughs> is coming to the table with this, it's a much more Zen environment than what I am working with. I think she definitely, I mean, our current situation is that she's very obsessed with purple and pink and it's a non-negotiable situation. And that, that's been our hardest situation right now. <laughs> but what I have to say is, and maybe this is tied into the fact that I didn't have my mom or the expected pregnancy I wanted with her, but I've had the time and the space to really think of her perspective when I'm with her. Like, uh, I, I, it was... I've been so present with her in a way that maybe I would have strived for before, but because of everything that happened, I can be in the moment with her and really thinking about her perspective. And it's really important to me. And I feel like I put her in the role of teacher 
a lot more as a result of building this nonprofit. And it's so beneficial. Like I feel like she trusts that she can, she can teach me something and it builds her confidence. That's amazing because that, that can only grow. I mean, she's, she's young now, she's a toddler now, but imagine what that little girl is going to do when she's a teenager or when she's, you know, a young woman starting out on her own or when she's somebody's mom to have that confidence inside of her. Oh, I felt so proud of her the other day when we were at school, the teacher, it it was like one of those feedback things. And she's like, I feel like your daughter is very capable. And I was like, that is such a word I wanted. I didn't know that's the word I wanted to hear, but that made me so happy that she's so capable. You know, she's three and she's taught me so much. I mean, she was the inspiration behind this book. And, and I don't know, I, I take a lot of pride in seeing the world through her lens. And it is certainly, I don't, I don't care if your daughter is one, five, 10, whatever. Um, once you are able to put yourself in the perspective of a child, you're right. The world just becomes a very different place. And I am not somebody who believes that you need to have children in order to have a fulfilling life or that you have to have children in order to have a family or any of those things. In my life, they have enriched me immensely and they have changed my outlook on quite literally everything from like blueberries to, you know, world peace. Um, But it's, you know, I, I really believe that like if you can just figuratively and literally get down on their level. You know, you see things so clearly and so differently that somehow is trained out of us, I think, as adults. Like we lose that sense as we grow. It's, it's so it's so true. I, I'm in the same boat as you, especially as someone who got married later on in life and having kids later on in life. There's so many different paths to happiness. There's miserable parents. There's miserable <laughs> single people. There's happy in all directions. I think what's been helpful is like when when you put yourself in your in a child's um, when you put those eyeglasses on. I feel like you're you're able to tap into your intuition and be forgiving of yourself for not knowing something. And it's like that intuitive connection, I think we lose as adults because we overthink stuff, you know? Yeah, we, absolutely, absolutely. We get in our um, heads, we want to prove ourselves, we want to be right, we, we want someone to like us. But the child is just like, I like pink and purple, and that's pretty much it. Right, <laughs> like, right deal with it. <laughs> right. yeah. okay, so let's, let's get it because it's a perfect segue. Um, let's get into someone calls me mommy. Um, first and foremost, the one of the things that anybody who buys this book or sees it, um, your copy will not have a mask hanging out of it. It will be very professional, but this is my edition, but the artwork everywhere, including on the pages. I love it. So tell me a little bit about the book, the genesis of it, and then sort of all the particulars, including the different artwork that we see all throughout it. Well, oh, so about a year ago, my daughter was jumping in rain puddles. She had her favorite yellow rain boots on, looking so adorable. And I was like, tall, you know, we have to take a nappy now. You know, we've jumped a lot. And she just looked at me and she's like, mommy, I don't want to take a nappy. My rain boots are happy. And she delivered the line in a poetic way. It transported me to my mom, honestly, the way she delivered it. My mom was a very sassy, she was like a sassy Mother Teresa with very simple poetic lines. And so I just felt that it was like my mom speaking to me. And 
Um, I think it started a healing journey that I had maybe avoided a little bit because I was just so in mom mode. Um, and that night I started writing poetry about all the different things of early motherhood, whether it be napping, breastfeeding, uh, you know, pooping, all the things uh, from her perspective and from my perspective. And it felt so easy to access her perspective because she has these simple one-liners that are so similar to my mom. And then, so I, I wrote all the poetry and I didn't know, I mean, it was just cathartic for me. Every night I was just, I was just writing it down. And then I wanted to hire like an illustrator because I kept on seeing these images. And my husband was like, we have this space now. We moved out of New York City during the pandemic. And he's like, why don't you paint and do, you know, because I always do it as like as a hobby. And so I spent, you know, like a one week straight manically just getting all this art artwork out of my body. And I felt like I was hanging out with my daughter, my mom and me, almost like in a tribal circle writing this book. It was very healing for me, very healing. It is such a beautiful story because there, if you are somebody who has been through those early weeks, it, you feel it. Like I, that's what poetry is meant to make us do, right? It's meant to make us feel something tap in, but the way that you have, um, the way that you have put this together is just perfect. It's on one side of the page, it's the mother's perspective. And on the other side of the page, it's the daughter or the child's perspective. And yeah. it is just so wonderful how they literally are, you know, two sides of the same coin. Yes. I, I And I intentionally wanted the drawing to be like this unifying thing, this abstract, colorful piece of art that is the thing that the child and the mom kind of agree on, but their perspectives on that drawing are very different. So the book, um, opens up with the the first one is to whom it may concern and how old are you and I love <laughs> yeah. it because is this a, is this an egg with a cane yes is that what I'm seeing? Um, <laughs> uh, it's so th there are so many that speak to me but that's the way it opens up which is basically like a um I, I don't want again I don't want to put words in your mouth but to whom it may concern it, it seems to me like this is the daughter's per the daughter's perspective right? Yeah, the, the left side yes. of the daughter's perspective, like basically like, who are you, right? Like, and then the mothers would be like, can I get pregnant? How old are you? Should I get like all the questions that we ask ourselves that we yeah. have no answers to. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, you're pregnant. God willing, you're pregnant. And now what do I do? <laughs> and yeah, now no, like her, her perspective on this one, I think because I have a geriatric pregnancy right now, which makes you feel like a grandma pregnancy if you're, you know. Welcome, your welcome to the dark side, yeah. <laughs> and so that first poem was really trying to capture this idea, like how old are you? Can you get pregnant, you know, from the mom's perspective? And then from the daughter's perspective, like kind of like, my mom's gonna get pregnant, don't worry. I'm like, even if I'm a old little egg in the back with the cane, a little white hair hanging off this egg, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my way, I'm gonna make my debut in the world, don't you worry. And so it kind of starts off with, I think her, her confident kind of approach and not worrying about the age necessarily and you know, me having a different journey. And then it kind of you know, goes from there. So let's read Sleep is Overrated and They Say, page 10 and 11, because I love this one. This one spoke to me. This is one of the ones I actually laughed out loud. Um, 
So do you want to, would you like to be mother or daughter? Uh, I'll be, I'll be daughter. Okay. So you are taking the left side. I'm taking the right side. Yes. For our listeners, uh, you will, it'll, it'll make perfect sense once you actually pick up the book. Okay. All right. I'll let you start. Okay. Sleep is overrated. This obsession with sleep is low on my list. After all, we just met. Let's just snuggle and kiss. They say, I, I have to do my like poetry voice. They say is the name of the is the name of um, the mom's poem. They say when you nap, I should nap. They say when you poop, I should smile. They say when you scream, I should feed you. They say you'll grow up fast. Who the hell are they? I love that. That is like that is like my billboard to the world. Like who are you out there in the world telling me all the rules that I cannot follow? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, I love it. I love. It. I just this is so wonderful. Um. Uh, another one of my favorites is so simple on page 50, Mommy and Mommy. Oh, this so. is, this is just, for, and I love this tree too. Is this a tree? This is a tree. Yes. Um, it's, it's so simple. Ma, mama, mommy. And then I'll let you read the mommy one since you are the mommy. <laughs> uh, the mommy. <clears throat> this new name feels too old to belong to me. Generations yell it loudly from the top of our family tree. I smile brightly. Baby, we made history. I love it. I just and think the, it's just, the tree yes. there. I wanted I wanted to capture. I don't know if you noticed the leaves are kind of like two. Yeah. The number yeah. Two. So I, I, I wanted the tree to feel like an animated young tree, but with a lot of history. So did you do them in order? Like, so the way that they appear in the book, is that the way you wrote them? Um, or, or how did you arrange them? What, how, why was it important to arrange it in the way that you did? I ended up going in chronological order when I put the book together, but the way I wrote them was I just wrote the 50 subjects of motherhood that came to me. Um, the things that I hear mostly about, and I wanted to this image of my in my head of like a modern motherhood museum like imagine we you walk into a museum that has like a larger than life like breast pump and a, like a, a vat of like pacifiers and like laundry from the floor to the ceiling and I was having these very visceral colorful moments and so I wanted to think about what I would see in this museum the 50 things that came to me. So that's how I wrote the subjects. And then when I put the book together, I decided to put them together from kind of birth to the age of two. So like the happy in mac and cheese, the, <laughs> the, the t-shirt with the, with the milk stains on it. I understand. I have been there. I have been, I am there. Actually, I'm not, I haven't been there. I am in it. I am there. Um, I well, also I feel like in this space, you know, in this space, a lot of times, I don't know if you can relate to this, a lot of the times that the, the books or um, the products can feel a little heavy. You know, I chose to have a baby, yet I, I'm being marketed to as if I'm a victim of my motherness. And right, so right. I think like there's room in the modern motherhood space for something kind of lighter that taps into our children, child's perspective a lot more, especially in a world where we're much more inclined to be narcissist moms very quickly. It's just nice to be reminded like, the child is here with a huge perspective and personality and viewpoints to share. 
And that's how you end it on the back of the book. You say, your eyes see what I cannot. I'm thankful for the gift I got, which actually just gives me chills reading that because I feel like your mom is, is alive on these pages. I know you have a dedication to her in the back, but it just feels like something channeled through you in order as you said, it, you know, in order in order to put this to paper, and obviously, if you felt like your mom was with you while you were writing it, that would make sense. Yeah. Oh, Teresa, you can make me cry. That's really. I don't want to make a pregnant woman cry. No. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Oh my! That'd be that'd be amazing. I'll like on your podcast, I go into delivery. I mean, that is that is that would <laughs> seal the deal here. But I um, yeah, it was. I told my husband whether or not I write this book, sell this book, like. I need to get this project done because it is so healing for me. And I, I really felt like I was hanging out with my daughter and my mom together. And we were just like having fun writing. And what a gift that you can give her. I mean, now that your mom, her grandma's not here in the physical form in order to teach her all those things, like maybe some of the wisdom that has been passed down through you either consciously or subconsciously she will gain from, from knowing that like, you don't need to be perfect and you can make it through tough times. And, you know, and like just one day, sort of the one day at a time approach to living life and mothering, yeah. by the way. No. And I think, you know, the lack of having a grandma here that, you know, that my mom here, I, I feel like, you know, there's something about grandmas that are slower, calmer, more accepting. And I feel like, because I did, I couldn't provide that to my daughter, I'm somehow trying to do both. Like sometimes mm -hmm. I'll put on grandma cap, even though I'm the mom. I I like try to, and I feel inspired to do that uh, a lot because of this book. Because I was like, I, I, I want to make sure she embodies that I understand there's two perspectives going on. It's not just me wanting her to nap all the time. <laughs> you know, right. I understand that she might be like, Mom, it's not a big deal. I don't nap at the same time every day. Chill out. Yeah, right. But no, it's true because I feel like grandparents, you know, as bonkers as they might make some of us that are still fortunate to have them around, they do teach your child about the balance of life. Like my dad, for example, who is, thank God, in good health and wonderful, but he's in, he's almost 80 and he, you know, he, he, he'll bring over a Swedish fish or, or, or gummy bears or whatever, and he'll give them to my kid at eight o'clock in the morning. And there I am like, what are you doing? You are not that dad. And he's like, well, what does it matter? Let the kid eat gummy bears at 7am. It's okay. And you know, the, to see the joy on my son's face, when, the, when my, when my father shows up at the door with gummy bears, the crack of dawn, I think to myself, that's that somewhere in the recess of his brain. Maybe he'll remember that. And it'll bring a smile to his face and it'll be a joy to him. You know, I mean, and those kinds of things are so important. The generational um, influences that we all have and we have to give it to our kids any way we can. No, it's so true. And also, you know, beyond the Swedish fish, it's like your son is experiencing this stress-free moment, a very light moment. You know, you could be giving the healthiest snack in the world, but combine it with a stressed out mom giving this snack it's a different feeding experience so right. your your dad's energy combined with his energy just makes it all the more kind of magical yeah and I also feel like it helps keep my dad young and it helps <laughs> my son you know I mean it's just there there is a cycle to things and I feel like some of the words that you have put on this book uh, down the pages of this book like just show that you know that like you can hold two two thoughts can be true at the same time two perspectives can be true at the same time 
just because it's the way that you're viewing something in the moment doesn't mean that that's the way your child is clearly, you know? Yes. And I think it's important to live in that space in general, right? I mean, whether it's with our child, our spouse, politics, education, you know, to be able to kind of listen to two different perspectives and be able to kind of feel comfortable in that space is a skill set that benefits anyone at any age. I love it. Rupa, this was such a great conversation. Thank you. And thank you for gifting us this book because it, it warms my heart. And it also, as a mom, again, I'm second time around, but it does make you feel heard and it makes you feel seen. And, you know, even just the simplicity of some of the words just makes you feel like there are other women out there that get this. Like, I'm not crazy. I'm cl clearly, and if I'm crazy, I'm part of a very large crazy bunch. So it's all good. We're a fun bunch all together, you know? Um, but it's really wonderful. Where can people buy this if they want to buy it? When is it officially released? And when, where can people buy it? And then what is next for Someone Calls Me Mommy? Um, this has been so much fun. My, okay, so you can purchase it on our website, me, M-E-Mommy, M-O-M-M-Y.com, me-mommy.com. And it's available to purchase now. We wanted to make sure that we were available and ready for Mother's Day. We were seeing this as a, a big gift giving thing and we're seeing a lot for baby showers and stuff. I'm just excited to see where the book is gonna take off and what, it seems like, you know, it comes in this gift box and is being received as a gift. So I think a lot of people are feeling inspired to gift it to others. And beyond that, I have ambitions of making the artwork and poetry um, go into the apparel direction or a product direction in, in the near future. So I'm having some initial conversations about that. And I've already started working on the second book because my daughter's getting older and I'm inspired by her now calling me mom, which is different than mommy. Right. Like when, <laughs> when did we drop the MY? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So and now we got a new one in the mix. Who's going to, I mean, is the second one going to be someone calls me mama, mama, mama. <laughs> someone calls me dada. Cause it seems like they always call you dada. First. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is true. He, he was like the rock star in the beginning. It's a, it, he went first and then I came second. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, or you just want to say hi, reach out to me on Twitter at Fox5Teresa or on Facebook, Teresa Priolo NY. And stay tuned for our next episode.